They say the best things in life are free. You probably heard something like that before. Uh, we like free things, don't we? We get things for free, and, it, and, and it's great. Um, but sometimes there's a problem with free things, and it's, it's not with the person who gives them to us, but it's usually with us and receiving them, because sometimes we take free things for granted. Have you ever done that before? I've done that in my life. Um, in fact, um, I moved out and got married about six years ago now, and in those six years that I've been out of my parents' house on my own married, I've had four barbecues. Now, Something tells me that's not a normal ratio of barbecues to years, right? It's not supposed to be, um, you're not supposed to have that many barbecues over those years. Um, But there's a reason why, and it was, I'll I'll own up to it, it was my own fault. Um, But you see, my first barbecue, when you're moving into your first house, a lot of people, sometimes people will, they'll they'll, want to give you free stuff. Oh, hey, yeah, I'm here, I'm getting rid of this couch, you want a couch? Oh, it's great, it's wonderful. And so that happened with the barbecue. Someone said, hey, I'm buying a new barbecue, Um, do you want my old one? And I said, oh, that's wonderful, sure. And so I took this barbecue from them. But because it was free, because it was secondhand like that, I kind of took it for granted, right? I didn't take all that good care of it. I, uh, you know, I cleaned the, the grill on it, the surface of it, so that my food would be clean, but besides that, I didn't really clean the rest of it very often. I didn't really take good care for it. You know, it was underneath the cover uh, on our back porch of our apartment, but the rain would still get to it sometimes. And so I didn't really value it that much because I had gotten it for free. And so, you know, probably about a year later, it started falling apart, and those, those inside parts were rusting. And rather than replacing those, I just said, uh, I'll just get a new one. And so I, I, I didn't even get any money for it. I just gave it away to a, to a scrapyard. And, and so then I went and got my second barbecue. This is number two. So I got my second barbecue, which was just, I went to Walmart and bought the cheapest propane barbecue that I could find, right? Um, so maybe you know where this is going. Nothing against Walmart barbecues, but if you go anywhere and buy the cheapest barbecue, it's probably not going to be that great. And I knew that I had bought the cheapest barbecue, and that also worked in my mind as well. Well, I bought this cheap barbecue. I'm not going to work hard to take care of it because it's not worth a whole lot, right? It was cheap. And so I didn't take care of it very well, and a similar thing happened. I kept the surface clean so I could cook food on it, but besides that, I didn't really clean it out very well. I didn't keep it protected from the weather, and pretty soon it started falling apart. And around that time, it was falling apart, and I was going, uh, I'm not going to really be able to use this much more. Somebody else came up and said, hey, I'm getting a new barbecue. Would you like my old barbecue? And it's like, wonderful, that's great. So I took this new barbecue that they gave me, and I got rid of that, that old one. I gave it to Oasis, and it only lasted one year at Oasis, which is maybe saying something about Oasis or maybe saying something about the barbecue. I don't know. And so I got this third barbecue, but it was the same problem. It was free, and I, and I took it for granted. And so I let it fall apart. I let it get dirty. I let it, I let it rust, and I didn't take good care of it. Now, you'll be happy to know that there's a fourth barbecue that I bought this last summer, and I, and I did not buy the cheapest one. I bought one that was a little more expensive, and I said, okay, I'm taking care of this barbecue. I'm tired of, of getting new barbecues, so I'm going to do well with that one. But that's the problem with free is that sometimes we take free for granted because um, we didn't invest anything into it, and so it's like, well, it was just free, um, so it's, it's not that big of a deal. And sometimes we associate free with cheap. Now, there's good parts about cheap and there's bad parts about cheap, right? Cheap price is great. We like cheap price. But what about cheap quality? Now, cheap quality is okay if it's just something disposable. You're only going to use it once. But in the long term, cheap quality is not great. We don't take care of it. We, we take it for granted, right? 
Now, we don't just do that with physical things in the world. We also sometimes do that in our spiritual lives. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning. And this is on page 966 in your pew Bible. And we start in verse 1. And Paul is going to give us a little insight. He's going to appeal to us like he did to the Corinthians then. He says, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, when I first read that, I went, okay, Paul, what, what are you talking about here? Don't, not to receive the grace of God in vain. So I had to do a little research. I had to look up, okay, what does he mean by that word vain? Um, and so, so as I looked that up, and I'm no Greek scholar, but I found out that that Greek word, what it, what it really means is, is without results. And so I'm going to rephrase it another way. Don't receive the grace of God without results. And so that's what Paul is appealing to them there. Don't receive the grace of God without results. Because that grace of God, it's free, right? It's given freely to us. And that's something that I, I want to stress and I want to say I believe 100%. It is free. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We don't earn grace. And so it is freely given to us. But sometimes, because we receive it for free, we don't do anything about it. We, we, we take it for granted. And that's something called cheap grace. Cheap grace. And I first heard about this idea, at least worded that way, a few years ago. I was reading a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's this great German pastor during the time of World War II and the Holocaust. And he's really got a great story. But in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, in the first chapter, he talks about this idea of cheap grace. You see, this, this cheap grace, it's not grace that God gives us. It's, it's, it's grace that we make up in our own heads. It's grace that we think God has given us. But it's, it's, this, it's, it's cheap, right? Because it was free, it must not be worth all that much, right? God was just giving it away. And so it's like, well, if God's just giving it out to people, then, then sure, I'll take, some, I'll take some grace. But we don't let it do anything on our lives. See, because grace can be had for nothing, because it's freely given to us, then we can receive it without results. Because everything can be had for nothing, then nothing needs to change. Receiving grace without results means that it doesn't change anything in our lives, right? I was thinking about it this way. Think about a life insurance policy. Now, what if somebody came up to you and said, hey, um, I, want, I want to get you some life insurance and I will pay for it. I'll pay for it every month. You don't need to worry about it, but I want you to have this life insurance and I'll pay for it. Now, you might be a little suspicious as, as to their motives, for doing that. Um, but if you found out, no, they had good motives, you can pick the benefactor of it. Would it change the way that you live? When you get life insurance, do you start living more recklessly? Well, no, right? Because guess what? You only, life insurance doesn't matter until you die. You don't, there's no benefit of life insurance until you die. And that's sometimes how we view grace, right? Is that grace is just this future promise. Grace doesn't really kick in. Grace doesn't really matter until I die. And when I die, then the grace of God, you know, that, that I received when I, when I accepted Christ, that'll kick in, and I'll go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. And so we view grace as a future promise, but not as a present reality. We view grace as a future promise, but not a present reality. And as I'm talking about this, a lot of times that's the way we think, right? Well, what does grace have to do with today? But Paul talks about that. In verse 2, he says, 
In a favorable time, I have listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. So in a favorable time, I've listened to you. In a day of salvation, I've helped you. And we go, yeah, that day of salvation, right? And we kind of read that, okay, that's past tense. So he's talking about when Jesus died on the cross. That was my day of salvation, right? So I look back, Jesus died for my, for my sins back then on the cross. And then when I die, I get to go to heaven and be with him forever. And sometimes that's how we would describe this act of grace. Remember, this grace is this free gift that we don't deserve, right? That gift of Jesus dying on the cross, and now we have salvation in him forever. So that's what grace is. And so we go, okay, yeah, Paul, I'm tracking with you. But then he says, continuing on in verse 2, he says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Now, did Paul mean that on that particular day that he was writing 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that that was the day of salvation? No, right? And, and Jesus had already died and come back to life when he was writing, writing this. So he wasn't talking about future, um, or, or, you know, he wasn't talking about the day that Jesus rose from the grave. He's talking about today, now, October 22nd, 2017. Today is the day of salvation, my friends. Today is the day of salvation. It's not just a future promise, it's a current reality. Grace is in our lives today, and we need grace right now, not just for when we die, but today we have new life in Christ that was given to us by the grace of God. Because there is a new life, right? To receive the grace of God without results is to let everything remain the same when we become a believer. To say, well, nothing needs to change until I die. Nothing really matters. I can continue to live in the world. I can continue to live of the world. I continue to live the same way until I die, because that's, that's the only time that it really matters. But Paul's saying, no, no, don't receive the grace of God without results. Let it work in you. Let it change you. Let it do something in you today. So the question that comes out of that then is, okay, well, what is grace supposed to look like in my life? Like, I know what grace looks like on the cross, and I know what it looks like when I die and go to heaven, but what does grace look like today in my life? What does this gift from God look like today, here, and now? Well, Paul's going to talk about that. He, he, he basically gives this personal testimony. You know, it's kind of like he's answering the question, Paul, you know, what is, what is the grace of God done in your life? And he's like, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what the grace of God has done in my life. And he even sets it up by saying, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. He's saying, I'm being wide open with you guys. I'm being open. My heart is open to you. I'm, I'm going to tell you everything. There's no, there's no secret. There's no locked doors in Christianity. There's no secret revelation. It's, it's all out in the open. He's going to tell us everything. And so he's going to give this personal testimony of what grace of God has been doing in his life. And it's going to be great. Can you imagine getting to ask, hey, Paul, what's God been doing in your life lately? Be like, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you how wonderful it is. And right, we imagine it would be encouraging to hear that when we hear other people talk about their faith. Maybe you were encouraged when Noah was talking about his, and you went, yeah, that's exciting. And so, so, so as we're getting ready to read this, we go, yes, this is going to be encouraging. This is going to be wonderful what the grace of God is doing in his life. So let's keep reading. Verse 4, he says, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. Okay, this is getting good. In afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. 
How's that for a sales pitch for Christianity? Come one, come all. Come find out what it means to be a Christian. You get to endure sleepless nights, hunger, imprisonments, afflictions, hardships. It's wonderful. Everybody should come and want to be a Christian, right? But then again, Paul's not selling the gospel, is he? Now, we found that out in chapter 2. He says, I'm not a, we're not peddlers of God's word. We're not selling this. We're being open. We're being honest. You want to know what the grace of God has been doing in Paul's life? It's been difficult. It's been afflictions. It's been hardships. Imprisonments. Riots. Slavery. All these things. That's what the grace of God has been doing in his life. And yet there's a testimony here that's so strong. Because as you listen to him, as you read that, is he complaining? Saying, oh man, you know, God's great, but it's been tough lately. I've just been going through this, this difficulty, these afflictions, hardships, all this stuff is going wrong. That's not what he's saying, right? He's boasting about it. He's saying we commend ourselves in every way. This is great. He is coming and saying, this is great. We've been going through all this stuff. Because he sees it as the grace of God in his life. And that's a testimony to him. And he's even, he's even saying this as a testimony to his apostleship. Remember, the Corinthians were, were questioning that, saying, how can you be an apostle and yet you're suffering so much? It doesn't seem like God would do that to you. And he says, no, that's the very reason that you can know that I'm apostle, is that this stuff is happening to me and I'm still following God. Because it's the grace of God that's doing this in his life. But that's just part one. He continues on and he kind of takes a turn and he says, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. These positive things, this character development, this is also what God has been doing in his life. This is what also what the grace of God has been doing in him, is making him into a better person, right? That patience, that kindness, the Holy Spirit, weapons of righteousness, these, they're it's building him up into a better Christian, right? Doing these positive things in his life. So the grace of God, even though it's pulling him through these difficult times, that's also creating this character development in Paul's life. And we continue on through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. And, and he, he's going to talk about these apparent tragedies. These, it seems this way, but really this is the truth. We are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. That's what the grace of God is doing in Paul's life. And it's wonderful, right? And we read that and we go, that's really cool. That's Paul receiving the grace of God with results. This is what it's doing in his life. But there's something else here, because as I... As I was reading through, I didn't catch it until just a few days ago. I was reading through this again, and something hit me. I said, wait, that sounds like somebody else. That whole list he just described himself, right? And yet that sounds like somebody else that I know from the Bible. So I'm going to read it again, and I want you to be thinking about who else does this sound like? Afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God, weapons of righteousness for the right and the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, and here's really where it hit me. Treated as an imposter, and yet is true, is the most true. As unknown and yet well-known, is dying and yet behold is alive. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, 
as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Now, who does that sound like? That's Jesus, right? And so it really hit me that the grace working in Paul's life, what is that doing? That's making him look more like Jesus, right? And ultimately, that, that is what it's doing. He's looking more like Christ every day, and he can identify with Jesus in the sufferings. Even though Jesus suffered for us, when we do suffer, we get a little bit, a little taste of what it, what it felt like for Jesus to suffer. And then we can identify with him, we can know him more, and there's joy in that suffering. It builds him up to look more like Christ with this patience and this kindness the Holy Spirit, and just in all these ways, Paul is looking more and more like Christ. And it brings up this this idea that had never hit me before. And it it has to do with sanctification. Now, I want to explain a couple things here, because we are talking about sanctification here, but there's kind of that question of, what what does that really mean? And I even struggled with that for a long time, like, I I would forget, or I wouldn't really be clear. And so so I want to take you through that that, that message really quick, because we were dead in our sins, right? We had rebelled against God. We were dead in our sins. The, the penalty for sin was death, and that was, that was what we had to look forward to. And yet God didn't want that for us. He wanted us to be alive in him. He wanted to spend eternity with us. But the only way to do that was to send his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life on earth and then to die on the cross for us. And so that's what he did. Jesus came and he lived and he died for us. He died so that we wouldn't have to, and that's justification, right? He justified us before God. He made us right before God. So we are made right before God. And when he looks at us, he sees Jesus in us. And that relationship is restored and we can be with him forever. But there's more. That isn't where it stops. There's more than that. Because not only has he justified us, but then after we receive that grace, after we receive the Holy Spirit, God starts to work in us and he starts to make us more like him. And that is what sanctification is, being made more like Jesus. And so the big thing that hit me was that I knew that grace had to do with justification, right? We're saved by grace. But then I thought that that was the end of it, right? But the reality is that no, Grace continues on. Grace is the way in which we're sanctified as well. It's a free gift. Sanctification is a gift from God that we don't deserve. Too often, we know we don't earn the salvation, but we're kind of confused as what to do about the sanctification. What do I have to do? Or what do I not have to do? And, and I'm hoping we can understand that a little bit better. And... I had this plan to, to, to continue on and preach the rest of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But yesterday, I was at uh, my convergence intensive. If you guys remember, I'm a part of a, uh, I just started last, last spring, I'm a part of a pastor training program. And so each month we go to these intensives and spend time in, down in Portland together and, um, for this pastor training. And so yesterday, one of my assignments, uh, activities that I was supposed to do was to um, we were given a passage, and we were supposed to meditate on it for an hour. Just spend on these, on these I think, three verses, just spend an hour just meditating on that. And um, I can tell you guys, I really don't believe in coincidences. Because the passage I was given was out of Titus. And as I was out of Titus chapter 2, and as I started to read it, it was just kind of like, wait, what? This is what I'm preaching on tomorrow. It's just in a different place. 
So Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now we hear that, right? So justification. Grace brings salvation. But that's not the end. He continues on in verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What is it that trains us? It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that trains us to live godly lives, to be self-controlled, to follow him. It's the grace of God that makes us more like Jesus. And it was just that confirmation that I said, okay, you know what, there's a lot of good stuff in the rest of this chapter, but this is what I need to focus on because this is what's making the difference in my life right now was to have that realization that it's the grace of God that does this in my life. I don't want to leave something out because there is something very important later on in chapter 6, and that is where Paul says that we are the temple of the living God. I would encourage you to to look more into that because that is a very, um, that means a lot. We are the temple of the living God. We are the dwelling place of God. And so what what I don't want is to take the Holy Spirit out of this because the Holy Spirit is such an important part of this as well. And so what I would say is that by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are made to be more like Jesus. But sometimes the question kind of comes up, why? I've got my life insurance policy. Why do I need to change the way I live now? Why does it matter? That's cheap grace. That's what cheap grace tells us. And so what I want to encourage you this morning is to not subject yourself to cheap grace, but to actually understand how costly grace was. Grace was very costly. Now, it was freely given to us, but that doesn't mean it's cheap. In fact, I can't think of anything that was more costly than grace because it cost Jesus his own life. God's son, God himself, had to die so that I could have grace. And the more I understand that, the more I press into that, the more I go, God, please show me what your grace means, what you've done for us, that gift that you've given through Jesus' death on the cross, the more I understand that, he's freed me from my sins. He's freed me from that former life that I want to live for him. You just saw a baptism earlier today, and, and you might have been here for Haley's last week. Now, I don't know if you could, could hear as I was baptizing Noah, but when I baptized him, I said, um, now you were buried with Christ. Uh, man, I can't even remember now. Um, <laughs> you're buried with Christ in his death, and you are raised to new life with him. Now, did I say you are raised to new life with him someday? Or you are raised to new life with him when you die? No. I said you're raised to new life with him I could have said today. Today, we take off the old self and we put on the new self. We are a new person in Christ. And that was always the intention, right? God didn't intend to save us and then have us still live in the midst of our sins until he came back in glory. No, he died to change us now. We can begin forever now. We can start that eternal life now. We can live in grace now, today, by being changed by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
And that's what God intended for us to do. He intended to change us, to make us more like him. Why would we still want to be slaves to sin? God, God created the world to work a certain way, right? And sin is, is not that way. Sin is the way the world doesn't work. Why would we continue to fight against the will of God when we can run into his arms and follow him with all of our heart and live the most wonderful, rejoicing life? And that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be afflictions and hardships and pain and difficulties, but it means that we can rejoice in all of that because it's the grace of God that's doing it in our lives. And that's wonderful. But the problem with that, and it's not a problem with the Bible, it never is, is it? It's not a problem with God, it's a problem with us. Is that as I preach this this morning, there's kind of this, okay, what do I do with that? Do I go out and try to mimic Paul and all these different things? I wouldn't recommend it. Because we're still in this, in this difficult place of, okay, I know that I was freely given my salvation. I didn't work for that. And now I know that I was freely given sanctification. But how does that work? How am I supposed to become better, but God does it in me? Do I just go home, sit on the couch, and say, okay, God, make me a better person? I'll wait here until you do it. Well, it doesn't really work that way, right? And yet at the same time, what I'm not telling you this morning is to work hard and do better. Be a better Christian. That's not what I'm telling you because we can't. We're still unable to. It's got to be that gift. It's got to be that grace working through us to do that. So what I want to tell you here this morning is, is going to be a very applicable, very much something you can do today or tomorrow morning. And that is it starts with prayer. And something about prayer is I can never overestimate or exaggerate the importance of prayer. Do you hear that? I could never exaggerate the importance of prayer. God's never going to be like, you know what, Ryan? You've talked a little too much about prayer. You've been praying a little too much lately. Uh, there's other things you should be doing. No, I could never exaggerate that. And so it's got to start with prayer. And there's two types of people here that I'm speaking to this morning. And the first one I want to address you first is the person who maybe has never received the grace of God for the first time. Maybe you've never come to faith in Christ. And you've never got to experience that amazing, that sweet grace that maybe you've heard, talk, you've heard talked about this morning. And so I want to encourage you in a prayer to search your heart and say, okay, am I ready to make this decision? Am I ready to follow Christ? And then to pray, Lord, I need your grace. I am a sinner. I'm messed up. I've rebelled against you. And I deserve death. And yet, God, for some reason, you sent your son to die for me. And I believe that Jesus has died for my sins and there was nothing I could do to earn my own salvation, but it was given freely through the blood of Christ for me. And Lord, I accept that and I receive your grace and I pray that you would work in me. And so that might be the prayer that you need to pray. Maybe it's right now, maybe it's when we go back to worship in a few minutes. But there's another person that I'm talking to and that's the person that has received God's grace. And you've said, yes, I believe but is God working in your life? And maybe he is. And maybe you prayed this this morning, but I want to encourage you to pray it again tomorrow morning. And I, and I refer to tomorrow morning because I want to encourage everyone to be in the word and to be praying every day. Because we need to receive God's grace every day in our lives. And so your prayer tomorrow morning might look something like this. Lord, the kids are going to wake up in probably 20 minutes if I'm lucky. 
And that's when it's going to start. Lord, I need your grace. Lord, to be patient with them, to love them, to be kind to them. Lord, I need your grace so that I can show grace to my kids. I need grace so that I can be Jesus, so that I can show Christ to my own kids. Lord, I, I need you to do that in me. Give me your grace. Give me that gift that I would do that when my kids wake up in the morning. Or maybe your morning will look a little bit different tomorrow. Maybe you'll be praying, Lord, I've got to drive to work in about an hour, and I know that there's going to be traffic. And for some reason this time of year when the rain starts, people just forget how to drive, and it's going to be frustrating. And there's going to be people cutting me off, and there's going to be all this difficulty trying to get to work. Lord, I need your grace. I need you to help me to be kind, to be patient, to be loving towards those people I'll never get to talk to, but they'll see me and they'll interact with me in their cars. And God, I need you to remind me that I make mistakes too, that I might accidentally cut someone off or make a, a mistake out there, Lord. I need your grace to extend that grace, to show other people who you are, Lord. And when I get to work and I have to work with those non-Christians, those difficult people, those frustrating people, and it's just, it's so hard, Lord, I need your grace that I would be kind to them. Lord, I need you to remind me what you did for me, how you forgave me so that I could forgive others. I need you to remind me of how much that grace cost. And if you do that, your day's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a lot different. And you may even need to pray for some of those unexpected things. God, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I pray when the unexpected comes, Lord, I pray that you would prepare me for it. God, I pray that, that I would be, you would fill me with your spirit, God, that I would be kind and patient, that I would show your love in whatever situation that I'm in. And that'll change your whole day if you pray. And I encourage you to, to and I, I love processes when I'm, when I'm praying because it helps me to not just get distracted and, and, and go through your whole day, everything you know going on that day and pray that God would give you grace in every single part of your day. And I can tell you, he's faithful, he will. And you may remember when you're about to honk your horn or something, drive, you may, oh wait, no, I prayed about that. Yeah. And it'll remind you, no. I've got that grace of God in me. But we gotta do that every day. It's something we need to remind ourselves of every day because sanctification is a process. I can't, nobody can stand before you and say, I did it, I made it, I'm, I'm perfect. Every day, we need that grace of God again to work in us, to make us more like Jesus, to draw us to him. And, and like I said, that'll make your day so much better. You're going to be so much less frustrated. Things are going to get you down so much less if you're praying that way in the morning. Because God will be faithful to give you his grace throughout the day, that gift of what he's done for you. So I want to encourage you guys. I appeal to you today. Don't receive the grace of God without results. Don't say, thanks for the grace, God but I'm not going to change anything. Let God work in you. Let him change you. Let him make you more like Jesus. And in doing that, he's going to grow you. He's going to give you so much of a better focused life on him. 
And he's going to change the people around you. People are going to start seeing that there's a difference. And they might ask you about that grace. Now, they might not call it grace, but you can say, oh, let me tell you about it. And that's an opportunity that we have only because of the grace of God. And I can tell you this morning, I'm standing in front of you only by the grace of God. And that's what I was praying for this morning. Lord, give me grace because I can't do it on my own. I need you. So I want to encourage you this morning to pray that, to ask God to receive that grace with results and let it make you more like Jesus. Lord, God, we praise you. We thank you for the grace that you've given us, God. The sacrifice of your son on the cross for us, Lord. But I pray this morning that we would, we would understand that a little bit more, God, and that we would not receive it without results, God. That we would let it change us, God. Not just that it would justify us, not just that we can have a future home with you, Lord, but that it would work in us now, God, that we could begin forever now. We could step into that relationship, that new life now, God. Would you make us more like you? And Lord, would you change the people around us because of it? God, would you change our communities? Lord, would you change the world through us and through your grace, God? Give us your grace, Lord. We need it so desperately. We give all praise and glory to you, the Father of grace. And we ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.